invite you to take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn with me into the uh, first epistle of John. We were there. Hi again. Uh, saw you last week. Amen. Praise the Lord. First John this morning, the, uh, the first epistle of John. And last week we were there and we're turning back there this morning as we're studying God's attributes, who He is and what He's like. For five months we've been walking through the Word of God and we've been hearing God speak and we've been hearing God reveal who He is and what He's like. And we need Him to do that because if He didn't, we would conjure up our own ideas of what God is like. We would form idols. We would devise our own understanding of, of a God of our choosing. And, and yet you can't define who God is. God defines who He is. And He does that through His Word. In fact, the reason He does that... As he reveals here in 1 John, in the first few verses, is he's writing, listen, not just so that we'll know who he is and what he's like, but so that we can have a relationship with him. You see, fellowship, relationship with God is based on who he is and what he is like. And if we don't have a right understanding of who he is and what he's like, we're not going to know who we are and what we're like and what we need to have change in our life because God's not going to change. He's the same. And so John is going to reveal two important things about God in his epistle. We saw one last week that God is love. Today we're going to see that God is light. But he also is going to reveal to us that it's critical that we be on guard against entertaining thoughts about God that aren't really true or honest about who he is and what he's like. And he's writing to the church because he's writing to you, he's writing to me, because he wants us to have assured faith. When he wrote his gospel, John's gospel was written, it says at the end there, so that we might see and believe Jesus is who he says he is. And that by believing we might have eternal life in his name. These epistles are written to validate that we have believed in him and that we do have eternal life in his name. And he gives us several tests so that we can assess ourselves and look and make certain that we know that we know that we know that our faith rests in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and that we have an authentic relationship with God. Now, John is going to make a point for you and for me this morning that, listen, I have to be on guard. You have to be on guard against false understandings of who God is and what he's like. He's going to say, listen, God is light. God is love. And then guard your heart from idols. And that's critical. Because, again, if I don't have the right view of God, if I have the wrong view of God, then my fellowship is not going to be where it needs to be with God. And the problem will never be with God, but it will be with you and with me. You realize the devil and false teachers, they distort the understanding of God and God's nature, his essence, who he is and what he's like. The, the God of this world blinds individuals from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ. For missing and not understanding who God truly is. Because if, he, if we truly come to understand God as he is, then, then that exposes us. We're laid wide open. And God speaks in his word so that we can see and know who we are. So I want you to stand with me. We're going to read John, 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to hear God speak to us and lighten us on some truth about who he is and how we can have not only fellowship with him, but how we should be having joy in our fellowship with him. Now I'm going to back up to verse 1 and read down through verse 5. And we'll probably go to the end of the chapter this morning. But John says, that which was from the beginning, uh, that which we have heard, which we have 
seen with our eyes and with the have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Now, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, if you will, don't, don't pray yet. Flip over to the last verse of this epistle. Just two pages. Flip over two pages. And I just want you to see how John concludes his epistle. And why it's critical to have the right understanding of who God is and what he's like. Little children, he says in verse 21 of chapter 5. Keep yourselves from idols. And that's our prayer today. Father, our prayer today is that we understand you and know you as you are. As you make yourself known in your word, as you reveal yourself, lest, Lord, we form some figment of our imagination, some idol. We try to define you, Lord, in ways that that would be acceptable to us. God, you are who you are, the same, unchanging God. And God, you are a glorious God of light. And so today, help us to understand the significance of that so that we can order our lives correctly and that, Father, we can live in the light of your presence and enjoy the fullness of life, Jesus, as you came to give it to us. We ask these things in your precious and powerful name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. God's word is speaking to us that it's important that you and I understand his essence, who he is. It's foundational to any relationship that we have with him. If I misunderstand God's essence, then I'm going to be leading myself into idolatry. And John says, listen, children, little children, that's not just those that ran off to children's church, okay? John, the senior elder, when he was writing as pastor to this church, everybody was a little child to him. And he's writing to the children of God and saying, guard yourself, be on guard, make sure you know And you know who God is and what he is like. And the two things, the two central pillars that he has for us to understand is that God is light and God is love. God is light. He is holy and pure. And if we don't understand that, then we're not going to truly understand his love. As we talked about last week, we will not put these two in its proper order. And the danger today is that we are just as guilty as the people in John's day of forming and fashioning some image of God that satisfies us. And we have to be on guard against that. We have to be on guard because otherwise I'm not going to be having assured faith, certain faith. And I might actually be wondering, what, questioning whether I really am saved. And by the way, if my life, if my behavior does not match up to what I profess to believe, then then I have a serious problem and I need to know for certain that, you know what, my life is not right with God and I need to make it right with Him. John says, listen, there's a message that we have received, a message that we have heard, and it came from God. It came from God because no one seeks God, right? None seek after him. God comes seeking man. 
God comes making himself known to man. God comes bringing light to mankind. And when God wanted to speak a word, a message that we heard, it's important to understand. Listen, our God is not a God who is seen. He is a God who is heard. Idols are things that are seen. They're visual stimuli. Our God, when he speaks, speaks a word to us. He speaks propositional truth to us. But the message, the final propositional truth that he sent to us was actually Jesus, God in the flesh. And that word took on flesh. John says, listen, we saw him with our eyes. We heard him. Our hands touched him. The word that was in the beginning, that was there with him, the word of life, that word was made manifest to us. He's given us this apostolic authority. I mean, he's one of those apostles. Listen, he laid back on Jesus' breast at the Lord's Supper. He really saw him. Not only that, he was one that went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw Jesus transfigured and saw some of the glorious light of God on that mountain. And yet what's amazing is this word that is spoken is spoken to you and to me so that we might place our faith in him and come to have a personal relationship with the God who created all things, including you and me. And John says, listen, I'm writing these things. We're writing these things so that you can have fellowship with us. But understand, our fellowship isn't just with one another. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. And we want to write these things so that your joy will be complete. Other Greek texts have actually our joy will be complete. Let's just be honest. Both work for me. I want your joy and our joy to be complete. Amen? And our joy is only complete when we are in right relationship with God, knowing Him as He is, so we know who we are and what needs to change in our life. God is is light. He's not a light. He is the light. And we have heard a message has been relayed to us or received by us that came from Him. In fact, what's fascinating is that when you read over in John's gospel, over in the first few verses of John's gospel in verses 1 through 5, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, not a God as some uh, cults have it. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. He, his, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that light that came into this world came and darkness did not want to receive it. That light came into the world and darkness tried to suppress it. Men living in darkness, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, all of us were there. Not just that dark world outside of these walls. Listen, the dark world that's in our hearts until we come to Christ. I remember we taught Sunday school, we had some curriculum we used to teach that, that the children would, would have a heart. And, and, and part of teaching the truth of Ephesians is, is they would color that heart dark. And, and one little girl, Susie, said, no, I'm not going to color my heart dark. And she didn't want to acknowledge that she had any sin. But the reality is this, we're all born in darkness. And we're, in fact, Paul would say we're children not only of darkness, but children of doom. We've got no hope if God doesn't do something. But he did do something. And that's what John is saying. The Word became flesh. The Word came. And He revealed Himself. And the light shone into the darkness. And yet the darkness still tried to suppress it. You know, John 3.16, everyone knows that verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But rarely, we usually stop there. But if we would read just a little bit further, it's fascinating what John would say. 
that God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Listen carefully to this. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You see, the darkness doesn't want to recognize the light. It doesn't want to surrender to the light. In fact, man in his darkened understanding thinks he's wise, but he's really a fool as he worships idols and created things and doesn't receive the light that God has sent. The amazing thing is John isn't making this message up. This is a message, not some crafty tale or some uh, cunning fable. No, this is the word that God has spoken. And John is just relaying that. And he's saying, this isn't my opinion. God came And when he spoke the final word, that word that came, spoke to us, and his name was Jesus. And he put on flesh. Now this is the message that we have received. But there's also a message that is relayed. Listen to what he says. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. Now it's not enough, John says, just that we received it. Oh, it's good to receive this message because this message will change your life. But when your life has been changed, God doesn't want just your life to be changed. He wants other lives to be changed as well. We need to receive this message and then we need to relay this message to others. What we heard from him, in other words, we didn't contrive it, come up with it. What we heard, the revelation God gave us, we simply made known to others. We relayed it, we declared it to you. We made known to you. Why? As he said earlier, so that you could have fellowship with us. And so that you could have fellowship with him. But this is what's critical. That message that we are relaying is so that not only we can have fellowship, but so others around us can have fellowship with God. But what's critical is the message we're relaying is this. You come to God on his terms in light of who he is, not who you want him to be. You see, the message is this. God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. John is saying, listen, we heard this. This was spoken to us. And now we're making known to you. Peter would say the same thing as well. Do you realize over in 1 Peter chapter 2, when Peter uh, uses some of the adjectives and nouns which described Israel over in the book of Exodus, he says the same things about the church. And he says, you know, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why? That you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous, his marvelous light. When we were in darkness, lost, and we had no hope, we heard the light of the gospel. And that truth shone in our hearts. And we believed. And the Bible says that when that happened, God made us his peculiar treasure, his special people, his chosen people. And he made us, listen, a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And he saved us and took us out of darkness and now has put us in the kingdom of light. The amazing thing Paul would say or in the book of Ephesians is, listen, we're now children of light. And we should live accordingly as children of light. And so when John is saying this, he's saying, listen, we heard this message. We're relaying it to you that this is the God that we worship and that we serve. He is light and there is no darkness in him. That's the message. The message that is revealed that God is light. Now, what's amazing is when he says this, what does it mean that God is light? Not a light, not just the light. He is light. 
His essence is light. It is illuminating. And what, what does that mean? I mean, I read in scriptures all the time. I mean, you see there, God dwells in unapproachable light. His Shekinah glory, his glorious presence. You can't actually see his essence. I mean, all you, the light is so bright that man can never really see him as he truly is. Even when he came down and, and he met with Moses there on the mountain as, as he brought God's people to Mount Sinai and, 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 and there was thunder and clouds and the people said, um, Moses, you go up there for us because we ain't going up there. When Moses went up there and God was going to give him the Ten Commandments and the law, Moses just wanted to see the glory of God. And he said, you can't see me, but I tell you what, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and, and I'll cover you, shield you, and I'll pass by and, and you'll see some of my glorious presence. But evidently that glorious presence was so bright that when Moses came down, his face shone, just like when you and I get really sunburnt, right? He saw the glorious presence of God in some way. And, and so it was so, the people were like, could you please like, cover your face, right? And anytime Moses would go into the tent of meeting to meet with God, he would always remove that veil and commune with God and have fellowship with him. But when he came out, he so radiated the presence of God because he had been in the presence of God. Moses said, this is what is revealed, this is what is, or John is saying, this is what we have received and this is what we're relaying to you. That the message that has been revealed is this, God is light, his essence is light. And what that establishes is he's absolutely holy and pure. But his nature is enlightening, his nature is to reveal. When you stop and think about what light does, right, God like light, is making things known. He reveals. And the primary thing he wants us to see and understand is to know that he is holy. And he is absolutely pure. And the other thing that's amazing that he wants to make known is that it's only his light that can bring life. Now that's all the things that John also said over in his gospel. That when God spoke, the word took on flesh and God spoke to us, he was revealing himself. And what he was revealing is that he is holy and we're not. And he was revealing that if we don't have him, we do not have light. God's light reveals. God reveals himself. Now again, stop and think about this. If God does not make himself known to you and me, what are we inclined to do? The thing John warned us against. And that is make an idol or come up with our own conception of who God is and what he's like. Listen, this is so critical. What comes into your mind and my mind when I think about God is the most important thing about it. As Tozer said, why? Because our belief will affect our behavior. What we believe about God affects how we behave and how we live our life. But the foundation of our fellowship is not based on who we are. It's based on who God is. And if that's not right, then that fellowship's not going to be right. And he came to reveal himself and to make himself known. And now it's amazing. That light that, that revealed himself to Moses, Jesus, veiled it because we couldn't behold him. We, we, we couldn't handle it being in his presence. He had to veil it in his flesh. And so God added humanity to his deity and stepped into the world that he created. But that glorious light, listen, led God's people through the wilderness. They, it was there when they left Egypt in its bondage, when they walked uh, through the wilderness. And wherever that light led them, that light, 
they followed it. When that light stopped, that pillar of fire, you know what they did? They stopped. And when that pillar moved out, what did they do? They moved out. Why? Well, you see, it's the same way for you and me. We want to have fellowship with Him. Listen, you need to go where God's going, amen? If you want to have fellowship with Him. He's not accommodating Himself, listen, in His schedule and His plans and His purposes to what you and I want to have happen. No, we order our life to Him. This is critical and important to understand, especially in this day and age. I mean, we just want to make God the God that we want Him to be, doing what we ask Him to do. But you don't do that. In fact, when that pillar of fire moved, when it stopped, they set up the tabernacle. And then you know what happened? The place of worship. God's glorious presence filled the Holy of Holies. And nobody went in there except for on one day on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest could go in into the presence of God. And then only then with some incense burning before him, which was the prayers of the people, God have mercy, God have mercy, don't kill this man. And also when there was a sacrifice of blood to be thrown on the mercy seat as he would go there into the Holy of Holies. In fact, he got out as fast as he could too. When they built the temple in Jerusalem, and Solomon dedicated it to the Lord. The glorious presence of God filled that holy of holies there. But that glorious presence also left, it says, when God declared Ichabod on God's people. Because they had turned their backs on him. In fact, they had entertained thoughts about who God is and what he is like that weren't honoring of him. And rejected the truth that he had given them. Why? Because it's God's nature to make himself known, to reveal All of creation is speaking. It's declaring there's a God, a powerful God. uh, And it's declaring that he's there and he's not silent. And and special revelation that speaks to us, the word speaks to us. And God's trying to tell you and tell me, this is who I am and this is what I'm like. Order your life rightly. And when Jesus came, as Paul would say over in the book of Colossians, you know what? He is the icon of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. And so we don't guard our, we guard ourselves from images, but the one icon that we do look to is Jesus who put on this flesh because he reveals who God is and what he is like. So in, when, when, when God is revealing this, when this message is, is communicated to us, the message that we receive and that we relay is a message that tells us who God is and what he is like. He is light. He is a light that reveals, that makes things known. And he also is pure. This is the message we have from him, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So what God's communicating to you and to me is this. There is absolutely no darkness in him. In fact, it's interesting in the Greek, when, when, when John writes this, he uses some, what we would say would be poor English, but it's really, good, it's really good theology. He uses a double negative when he says that there is no darkness in him. There is no darkness, none, not at all. Now, in English, you say, I don't have none. That wouldn't sound right. Your mama would say, we need to get back in the classroom, Right? No, but in Greek, when there's a double negative like this, what he is communicating is it's impossible for God ever to have any darkness in him. God is absolutely pure. There is no darkness at all in him. 
And so when he reveals this, this light that comes from God, this revelation from God is declaring that he is holy, he is pure. And why is that important? Well, see, if I don't understand this illumined revelation that comes from God, that he is speaking to you and me, I might just fall into some um, dark deceptions. And we'll talk about those in just a moment from verse 6 down through verse 10. But God's illumined revelation tells me this. He is speaking. He is revealing. He is making things known. You know what happens when you turn a light on in the darkness? You can see things you didn't see before, right? That's what God is revealing. That's what God is exposing. And when God brings light into your life and my life, he's trying to help you and I to see something's wrong in our life. There's something that needs to be made right in our life. Why? Well, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. When man had fellowship with God and he lost it because of sin. And God has been working to reestablish that and reunite the word with man so that man can have life. In fact, that's what light does reveal. It not only reveals God's revelation of himself, it not only reveals that he's holy, but here's the amazing thing. The word teaches us that that light brings life. I don't know if you know this, remember from science, but light is important for life. You, you have to have light for things to grow. Do you remember when you were in grammar school and, and you took the beans, the kidney beans or pinto beans, and you put them in the soil, and then you poured a little water on them, right, in the little cup, and you set them there, and you set them next to the window, or you put a lamp over them. Why? Because you need light for things to have life. If you don't have any light, those things aren't going to grow. Now, that's exactly, precisely what John said over in his gospel in John chapter 1. That the light comes, it speaks, the word comes forth. It reveals who God is and what he's like. It reveals that, that, that darkness doesn't want to have anything to do with him because he's 100% light and he doesn't have any darkness in him. So darkness tries to repel it. But that, that light brings life to man. And everyone who has life, has it because God has given it. He's the creator. Whether it's physical, temporal life, or whether it's spiritual, eternal life, all of that life comes from the God who is light. He's the source of all created light. And you'll never have life. In fact, Jesus said that he came not just that we might have life, but that we might have it how? More abundantly. So it's not surprising that John in his epistle is saying, listen, I'm writing these things. We're writing these things so that you can have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son. But also that you might have joy, that your joy might be complete. Let me tell you something. If you and I are walking in darkness, listen, and we're not receiving the light of God into our life, you're not going to have joy in life. You're going to be miserable. And, and, and the longer we stay in the darkness or suppress the light that God's trying to give us, the more miserable we're going to be. But the moment we surrender and yield to that light that's coming into the darkness, that's when our life can be transformed and things can be made new. And God wants everyone to experience that. This light is pure. This light reveals. And this light brings life. Now, why do I need that illumined revelation? Well, I need it because of the darkened deception that takes place. You see, darkness, darkness does not want to receive the light. It doesn't want to receive it. Now notice what he says here. He's going to say this phrase three times in verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10. If we say, if we say, if we say. You just might want to underline it because sometimes we're guilty of saying these things. 
We're, we're guilty of saying things. Listen to what he says. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If I'm confessing with my lips, God is light and, and I have a relationship with him. He's a holy God. And yet my life is I'm not walking in the light, but I'm walking in darkness. Then the, the sad thing, sad reality is this. I'm lying and I'm not practicing the truth. I, I'm a hypocrite. I'm, I'm deceiving myself. Thinking I'm in one condition, but the reality is I'm in the exact opposite. You see... Light and darkness don't have anything in common. They're mutually exclusive, right? And you, you, stop thinking about it. If you have a dark room, you turn the light on, the darkness flees. You go out into the woods, you turn the flashlight on, the darkness flees. And the greater the light, the further the darkness flees. It's the same way with God. When I say, if I say I have fellowship with Him... And I'm walking with him. But the reality is that I'm walking in darkness. I'm sinning. I'm, I'm not surrendering. I'm, I, I'm, I'm giving over to my sins. The truth is I'm deceiving. I'm lying. And I'm not practicing the truth. In fact, some will go so far as it says in verse 8. To say, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. I mean, if you say that you don't have a sin nature. That, that you're a good person. I mean, you really are deceived. You're deceiving yourselves because the truth is that we all have sinned and fallen short of the day of God. We're all born in sin. We're born in this condition. Everyone from Adam and Eve on, right? From that moment when they sinned, everyone that was born, and the beautiful thing about this is God knew that all before he made man. And he had a plan. It's called the, the federal headship of, of Adam, right? And that, so in Adam, Paul would say in Romans, all have sinned. So in the second Adam, there's possible that all can be made right. Now that doesn't happen because not everyone receives the light. Men reject it. But the truth is, some think they don't have a sin nature. And they don't need to repent. In fact, some will say in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Why do we make him a liar? Because God has said that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. Just go read Romans chapter 3. His little katina there that he has. Not a cantina. A katina. All right? That means it's an Old Testament word that means stringing together Old Testament verses. Right? To make and prove a point. And Paul just lays it out there from the Psalms. He just lays it out. that You know what? Universally, all of mankind, every single one of us. Great, small, insignificant, male, female, young, old, every ethnicity. Listen, all of us, there's none righteous, no, not one. In fact, from, from, from our head to our toe, uh, we, we, we sin. If, if it's not the poison of asps that are on our lips and our thoughts that, that run rampant, it's our feet that run to shed blood, our hands that aren't innocent. You know what? From head to toe, y'all, we're corrupt. And there's nothing good in our path before us. All that's before us is destruction because that's the wages of sin. It's death. And that's all we have awaiting us. It's a pretty bad uh, plight for mankind. But there's good news too. There's good news because with all these if we say, there's also a corollary that goes along with it. And, and so we don't have to live in this dark and deception. Today, listen, you don't have to continue. I don't have to continue living in this dark and deception. I can, my life can be changed. 
your life can be changed. It can, it can be made new and you can experience life as, as God intends for you to. But there's something you and I have to do. And what is that? Well, notice in verse 7. If we'll walk in the light as he is in the light, we can have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now remember, stop and think about this. If I declare I have fellowship with God and I'm walking in the light with Him, but in reality I'm walking in darkness, I'm really lying. I'm not practicing the truth. But if I will walk in the light as He's in the light, that means you and I have to change our life to Him. He's not going to change Himself to you and me. That means this is why knowing God is so important. As God reveals Himself in His Word, you and I don't, we don't get to define God. No, no, this is who He is. And so we order our life to Him. And when that happens, what happens is God's light, His Word will expose something in you and in me. And He'll say, this, isn't, this, this can't be here. And the Spirit convicts us. And when that happens, the best thing we can do is say, God, have mercy. Crucify that flesh. Crucify that desire. God, I don't want that to reign and rule in my life anymore. Jesus, that's why you came and you died for me. And I want to surrender and yield to you in that area. And stop rebelling against you. The more that we do that, the more light that shines in our life, the sweeter the fellowship we have with the Father. Because we realize, man, look at what Christ came to save me from. Not just, listen, not just the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin in my life. And He cleanses that sin in my life. In fact, if we confess our sins, verse 9, we love this one, right? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful to His Word, beloved. He is true to His Word. That if you and I will repent and cry out to Him and ask for mercy, he, he, He's faithful to cleanse us and to purify us. And He's also just. He's done everything necessary to do it the right way. He's not just winking at our sins and saying, oh, I'll let this one go. No, no, no. Christ has done everything necessary so that God can be both just and justifier for us. Praise God. It's all complete. He's, he's not looking for something else to be done. No, it's been, the work is finished. We just have to take him at his word and believe. In fact, listen, even if we say we have not sinned, John is writing, little children, listen, I'm writing these things to you so that if anyone does sin, that, that if he does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Listen, who he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. In other words, his sacrifice has satisfied the righteous requirement of God for sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus' death, once for all time, for all men, he has satisfied the requirement of God for sin. We run to him if we sin. We don't wake up willfully wanting to sin, but if we stumble, if we fall, then we run as fast as we can back to the cross. And we say, Father in heaven, thank you for your son, which gave his life for me. Forgive me of my sin. I don't want to live under the power of this sin any longer. I want to present myself as a slave for righteousness. Now, why is this important? Too many are living in the darkened deception they're not living, listen, with the light of God's word, the light of God's truth in their life. And so they are living on the false basis of fellowship with God. Let me give you a point. How is it possible that there can be 40 million people or more that claim to be born again in America, but at the same time, the moral condition of our culture is utterly corrupt? 
inside and out. And I'm not just talking about in the world. I'm talking about even in the church. How is it possible that those who claim to walk in fellowship with God to be Christian can add some uh, adjective or description to themselves and say, I'm a gay Christian, when that's an abominable practice to God? How is that possible? That's incompatible. What fellowship does Paul say, does light have with darkness? None. And yet, to say, oh, that's the type of Christian I am, and yet God's word is quite clear that he rejects that. That's abominable, and that will not dwell in his presence in heaven. And yet we parade that and want to champion that as our new identity. Well, that, that's defining God in your terms, not as God defines himself. And that's the deception that has crept in and now has taken over mindsets even within contemporary Christianity. Listen, you and I cannot live in fellowship with God and go live as we please and think that that's just acceptable with him. No, he defines the boundaries. And we orient our lives on him and yield to him. And as we do that, we have fellowship with him. But if we don't, then we're walking at a dirty distance. And the reality is we are deceiving ourselves, either being hypocrites with ourselves or duplicitous before others, saying we're one thing and actually being another. And when that happens, the truth is not in us. We want a God that frankly will shut his eyes at our disobedience and will reward us but not punish us for our sin. We want a God that, listen, we can make up excuses with him and, and he'll bear with all our hypocrisies. But the truth is God isn't like that. He's a holy God. He is light. And light reveals truth. Light reveals who God is, the truth about him and the truth about us. And as children of light, we should walk in that light. Paul would say, you know what? If we're authentic children of light, we don't participate in the deeds of darkness. We expose them. We reveal them for what they are. Church, we're, we're to be that light to the world around us. To realize, you know what? This darkness isn't good. But when you embrace that darkness and, and, and compromise with it, you're not exposing it as God would expose it. And that's the problem with the church today. In fact, Peter would say, listen, we once were in that darkness, but praise God now, we're not in it. Why? We hadn't received mercy, but now we have. So let's live like that. In fact, what's fascinating is I love you read the Psalms sometimes, and you just go see over there in Psalm 27, Psalm 36, all throughout the Psalms over and over again. God is, the Lord is my light and my salvation. I mean, that God is the the fountain of life, and in your light, we see light. The picture there is, listen, God is light. He is the source of life. He is the source of salvation. And, and if for you and I to have a relationship with him, that light comes in our life, and it brings us life. And that life bubbles up just as the light is in God, being revealed in a, a fountain of life. And we should experience that day by day by day. But the reality is this, he has to be our light. He has to be our salvation. Is he yours? Because if he isn't, then today's the day to get it right. And to say, I, I surrender, I yield. I, I, I bend the knee, I bow my heart. God, you're holy and I'm not. And I need to be made right. 
In fact, I need my life to be made right. And, and even if I'm a believer this morning, and you know what? I've, I've been unyielding to, to surrender some portion of, of my life that, that he has exposed and revealed. And his spirit says, you really need to get that out of your life. That's, that's sin. And, and it can have no place in my life. He's calling you and I to surrender and take him at his word. He'll cleanse us and purify our hearts and sanctify us. And we'll experience greater joy. And that's always the case when we surrender and yield to God. And he has his will and his way in our life. Why? Because God is light. And he brings life to those that yield to that light. If you won't yield, then there is an outer darkness that awaits you. In that outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there will be no life there but death. An eternal death that you will experience. But John's saying, no, no, no. These things are written, not just that you might know. That you might know that your fellowship is real. And as a pastor, my pastoral concern is, listen, that everyone in this room isn't deceived. Not self-deceived. That we all know that we know that we know the one we have believed in. And have believed that he is the only one that can give us life. But for that to happen, there needs to be that moment in your life where you bend your knee. And you cry out, God, have mercy on me, a wretched sinner. I see and realize Jesus died on that cross for my sin. And I want to ask you, God, to forgive me of my sin. And I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. I'm convicted of my sin. And I realize Jesus gave his life for me. And I want to trust in him. And you surrender to Jesus as your Lord. And ask him to begin that process of cleaning you up. By the way, you and I can't clean ourselves up and make ourselves acceptable to him. Stop trying. By the way, you'd get the glory then and not him. But his spirit will come into your life. And his spirit will begin to reveal things that will change your life radically. And then and only then will you experience the joy that God intends for you to have. But we order our lives. We base our fellowship not on who we are but on who he is, and then our joy is complete. Do you have that life today? Is he your light? Is he your salvation? And are you experiencing the joy that you have? This is why we have an opportunity at the end of the service. If I've heard God speak, if I've listened to the word, and the spirit of God has spoken to me, and I realize, you know what? There's something that needs to change in my life. I need to repent. I need to place my faith in God. I need to trust in him. Then now's the time in our service when we come here on the altar, take the hand of a pastor and say, I need to make a decision today. I've heard truth, and I need to surrender and obey it today.